0: Hey Graham. I've got a joke for you. Let's hear it. Okay. This is how it goes. Why are mummies so good at their job? Why? Well, they get all wrapped up in their work. That one came from a listener.
1: I'm am I'm, I'm I'm taking a minute to process. Are you, are you speechless? Uh, can we rate listener jokes? Ooh. Okay, if you would have told that joke, it would have been a 4. Since it's a listener joke, we'll, we'll we'll bump it up to a 5. Oh, okay.
0: That seems fair. So, congratulations to Lily. You now have the highest rated joke on the show's history. <laughs> <laughs> but do you think you can do better?
1: Well, I mean, I have to tell you something. I've been I've been feeling kind of down today. just oh, really? kind of sad, yeah. Yeah. One of my friends um, took his boat out but he slipped and banged his head Ooh you No. Know? Oof. Yeah. It was a real hardship. <laughs> I'm going
0: to need you to slow down and tell that one again. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, you know what? Enough of the nonsense. Let's get on with the nonsense.. Welcome back to Withy Windle, a whimsical, interactive show for kids who love stories, words, and grown worthy jokes, featuring your favorite authors and illustrators. This is episode three. I'm David Kern. And I'm David Kern. I mean, I'm Graham Pittman. Do you think people would be confused if I started calling myself Graham and you started calling yourself David? People? Yeah, we would be. Do you think that would be okay, though? Like, is that the kind of confusion we support?
1: Mm, Depends on the day.
0: That's fair. So, anyway, we're here to. Uh, Not today. We're here. <laughs> well, then I'm David Kernan. You're Graham Pittman. Yes. What, what do we have up on the show today, Graham?
1: Uh, today, we are going to be diving into chapters uh, three and four of Railway Children. And we're also going to be speaking with author Karina Yan Glazer, author of the Vander Beaker books. Well, technically, you're going to be speaking with her. I. That's true. You couldn't make it that day. I couldn't what make happened? it that day uh, because my house exploded.
0: Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. You're. Your house exploded? Well, my
1: house collapsed. That's not more clear. Your house collapsed. Well, part of my house collapsed. Which part? Well, my porch collapsed. Wait, your porch collapsed? How does a yeah. porch collapse? Uh that's a great question. You don't it, need to get into is like, is the structural collapse. Well, it's gone. Your your porch is gone or your house is gone? No, my porch is gone. Or just your porch. How's the rest of the house? It's good. It didn't it did not explode. But but that morning but, but was an eventful morning and I could not make it into the studio.
0: Got it. Okay, so, now I see what we're talking about. So, if
1: you remember, you it was just you. That's right. And that cardboard cutout of me well, that you set up when I'm not that's here. That's
0: true. She did think that was a little strange now that I now that you mentioned that, but Well, the
1: show's a little strange, so that makes that's sense. That's
0: true. But anyway, despite the fact that you weren't here, Karina and I did have a really fun conversation. We I talked bet. we talked about the the process for her writing her books and some of the things that inspired her and her books take place in harlem which is where she lives and of course harlem is part of new york city and so she talked about her experiences living there and um the characters and the places that inspire the vanderbeekers books i'm reading those right now and i've got to say they're quite enjoyable so if you have not read Mm -hmm. those yet um whether you graham or those of you who are listening highly highly recommend you you get a copy of that or an audiobook or something and listen to that this summer Uh, Before we do that, though, before we toss it over to my conversation with Karina, we've got to talk about chapters three and four of the railway children. Quickly, I'm just going to I'm just going to toss this question out there. How are you feeling about the railway children right now? You're talking to me? Well, yeah,
1: Oh, you're tossing a cardboard. Was I talking to the cardboard cutout? (laughs) We should put that away. It's creeping me out.
0: I know. Well, well I mean, to be fair, I was looking at that one because I got confused like were, about which was which.
1: It seemed like you were offering the question to the universe. Mm. So, well, I am part
0: of the that The universe. universe can't really answer back, True. but you can.
1: How am I feeling about the children?
0: Yeah, their adventures, their experiences. Are you? I'm loving this book. Mm.
1: Yeah, I think it's
0: wonderful. What about you? Oh, I'm loving it. This week, I listened to the audiobook version, mm-hmm. which is really fun because it's got those British accents and like the the, the narrator... Does different characters really well and things like that. Uh, What are some of the things you love about about it so far through these first four chapters?
1: Uh, I really like the characters. I Mm. think they're really well written. Um, I like that the narrator in the book gives us uh, a window into what motivates them and what, Mm. you know, kind of their thinking behind all the decisions that they've made so far. Mm. Um, Because this is kind of an adventure book. Yeah. But they haven't gone very far. True. I mean, they have gone to a new house, but all their adventures are kind of Yeah, they're kinda of like right know, around that neighborhood. Right around. So it's um and and I'm not sure if they eventually get on this train mm. and and go out somewhere else, or if mm. it's all their adventures are going to be kind of contained in this kind of smaller world. Which is I mean, as a kid, yeah, all my true. adventures were contained in my small world. So yeah. I mean it feels very yeah. real. True. You know, you used a phrase a second ago
0: that I'm interested in. You said that they're really interesting characters or really really well written characters mm-hmm. What do you mean by that like when we talk about good characters what what do we mean
1: what do makes a mean, good character why do you, why are you asking all the questions what, what do you, uh, what do you, that's, what do you that's think a, a fair a, question what do you think a well well written rounded character is
0: well, I think that one of the great things one of the things about a great character is it's specific so each example of a character say you're talking about Phyllis or Peter or Roberta or even or even the mother or the old man on the train that we've met you know all these different characters are specific and unique in their own right they have things that make them different from each other they have what some people might call a point of view they have mm-hmm. their unique point of view a unique way of looking at the world that's kind of specific to them and that's crucial i think to having a good character i mean
1: and they each have some like some sort of core Thing inside that yeah. drives
0: them Yeah that's like mo- motivates them and causes mm-hmm. them To make the decisions that they make
1: But also their relationship is just really fun They bicker with each other um, mm-hmm. And sometimes they're super loving with each other Which is exactly uh, Like a kind of a normal mm. Sibling relationship
0: Yeah they kind of get at each other's throats But you know that they always love each other
1: I love how they call each other uh, uh, Bricks <laughs> That is a wonderful <laughs> phrase you know when they're happy with with each other. Like, right. you're such a brick. <laughs> we should start using that. Mm, are no. we ever going to be that happy with each other? I mean, not not with each other. With, oh, uh, with oh, our other. I see. You know, I see.
0: I see. Yeah. Our,
1: I'm going to start calling my kids bricks. I support this. I
0: support good. this idea. So, you know, it's funny that you mentioned this idea of the brothers and sisters and their relationship because it seems to me that... Carini and Glazers, the Vanderbeekers, kind of follows in the footsteps of this because it's a book about children whose home is being threatened, and they have to f- all kinds of shenanigans come come out of that. Um, and in this section, we get we get plenty of shenanigans from these kids from Peter, Phyllis, and and Roberta. And in in particular, we get their shenanigan where they try to convince the old man on the train.
1: Yeah. Do you want me to recap to chapter him? three and four?
0: Yeah, let's do that. Let's recap those shenanigans.
1: Okay, so I think chapter three started, they'd be going up to the train yard. Oh, they started naming the trains.
0: Mm. They started naming them. Lots of train nerd stuff in this. Yeah,
1: but I love that. Yeah, Uh, me too. The green dragon, uh, you know. And the
0: tunnel is the cave. The cave. Yeah.
1: Um, There's something real special about naming something, kind of makes it your own, Uh, instead of just like the 915 or whatever the, you know, the engineers call them. Yeah. Uh, but then they see a hand first out a window, and they're interested in that. And then they see the man that the hand is attached to. And, and they wave to him. And they like, yeah, they like that. The, uh, the man looks likable. Um, and so that's that becomes kind of a tradition for them. Um, and they pretend that this old man knows their father. And they kind of get wrapped up into that kind of fantasy and it's probably a little bit comforting for them. But also in chapter three, uh, their mother becomes very sick Mm. and the doctor tells them all the things they need. And they realize they're too expensive. And the, and and the, and the, and the mother also says, we can't afford this. Don't worry about it. Just get me some bone broth. Right. But they come up with a plan. They write a big message on a sheet and put it out by the train station for the old man and the message says, look out at the station. And the old man does. Uh, and he sees Phyllis there and she gives him a letter. And the letter uh, has instructions on what they need and asks, pleads <laughs> with the man to please bring them. Uh, and later that night, they do get a box full of all the things that they need from the old man. So, And that wraps up chapter three.
0: And of course, the mother's not very happy.
1: No and and they knew she wouldn't be, but they knew they had to tell her what was going on and
0: they they yeah they promised they'll they'll well, so
1: what happened in chapter four uh Chapter Four is Bobby's twelfth birthday, so they celebrate that. Peter gives her part of his train filled with candy, which great gift I, w- I would take a partial train filled with candy, yeah, I was going to say a partially filled, but I want a fully filled partial train (laughs) maybe (laughs) twizzlers yeah maybe that's our snack of
0: the week twizzlers you can hear me unwrapping some right now
1: Mm. don't mention all the other things though
0: no i won't okay
1: don't mention the vanilla wafers don't mention you said you weren't gonna mention the marshmallows don't mention the cookies from last week okay (laughs) um chapter four bob's birthday party okay oh and then she has a plan to go to the train station with the broken train because she thinks train people know about trains they'll know how to fix this broken toy train and she tries to get the conductor's attention but it's too loud and so she's tugging on him but that he doesn't notice her train starts moving away she's on it but it all turns out okay she gets back oh and also i think in chapter four is when phyllis meets the doctor and basically confides confides in the doctor mm that they don't have a lot of money and he is very compassionate and says, you know, we'll work something out.
0: Confides is a good word. Mm-hmm. What does it mean?
1: Well, to confide is, is to maybe tell somebody, I, I, I don't know if it's a secret, but to share s- something intimately with somebody else.
0: Mm. So Some, you're trusting someone enough to tell them something you wouldn't necessarily tell everyone. Exactly. Mm. So here in this book, what do you think you would do if you were in the kids' shoes and your mother
1: was sick? Would you have done what they did? I hope so. It's it's tricky, right? Because they know that's not what she would have wanted. Yeah. But they know she needs to get better. So there, there's kind of like this higher good that they're, they might be after.
0: So it seems like they're doing the right thing to help her get better.
1: But they still might have to ask forgiveness.
0: Hmm. Do you think then she was... Wrong to be upset with them.
1: Is is there a, uh, a right or wrong answer to that?
0: I don't know. That's one of the things about really complicated conundrums in in life. That's and in a liturgy. great
1: like discussion point to talk to your to your family about.
0: Yeah, that, that that's true. I and mean, ask your parents what they if they think that she was right to be upset. Because I don't. I'm a parent. and I don't even know.
1: I think she she was upset with them. She was probably also a little proud of them. Why do you think she was upset with them,
0: though? I was thinking about this. Do you think that she was upset because she was worried about them getting into trouble or getting hurt or getting taken advantage of? Or was it more about herself, like her pride or
1: something like that? Yeah, probably the pride.
0: Mm. She didn't want to accept help from somebody.
1: Or didn't think it was proper to ask. Mm. Mm.
0: One thing I really like about that bit of shenanigan that they got into is the way it referenced back to the issue with the coal where Peter had stolen some of the coal Mm -hmm. and then he met the man in charge of the coal, (laughs) the coal man, man. they met the coal man. And, uh, I like the way it called back to that because earlier in chapter three, he'd met the man who he had taken the coal from and the man was kind to him. Yes. And then he references that in the letter. And so it calls, it calls back to that. And so that's one of the things I love about books is when, you see these these little scenes or moments being referred to throughout, and just kind of adds and builds to the story, and then that makes those moments even more special.
1: I think they just call that a callback, right? Yeah. Speaking of that porter, yeah, there's a line I really liked. On, on my book, it's it's uh, it's on page 61, but it's about halfway through chapter three. It says they reached the station and spent a joyous two hours with the porter. He was a worthy man. And seem never tired of answering the questions that begin with, why? (laughs) Which many people in higher ranks of life often seem weary of. So that's a way he's endearing himself to the children.
0: Mm. And of course, then after that, it gets into the train nerd stuff, which we all love. Of course, (laughs) He told them many things that they had not known before. As for instance, that the things that hook carriages together are called couplings and that the pipes like great serpents that hang over the couplings are meant to stop the train with.
1: It's the best kind of person. It's the best kind of friend hmm. that that doesn't get doesn't get sick of you asking questions or or having to explain things to you.
0: So, in the last episode, when we were talking about this book, we talked about the idea of foreshadowing, and we talked about how sometimes that kind of like previews things that might be coming next.
1: Yeah, did you see any foreshadowing? Well, that's what time? I was going
0: to ask you. Is there anything in here that kind of is giving you a hint? Uh, um, at what's going to come next or, or is there anything that you think the kids that that our listeners, the kids who are listening should be looking for?
1: Well, they do introduce the canals. Mm. And I, I was wondering if that would come back at any point. Um, it's actually, it's in chapter four and it's kind of a funnier portion as well, because it seems like the water people are not as nice as the railroad people. <laughs> uh but i was wondering if like because it's 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 just on like one page and then it moves on so i was wondering if that might might be playing a bigger role in the out um
0: i bet it's at least it's i mean you said they're being nicer than the train they're not as they're not as nice as the train people and i think you're joking but also it it seems to be drawing a comparison between the water and the land and kind of how special the train was and of course at this time when this book was written train travel was still a little bit of a it's a little magical, right? Boats have been around for yeah. centuries, but trains, not you didn't just ride trains all the time. So you know how kids like trains now? Like my son, Lucas, he loves trains. Like if you're driving down the road and you see one, can you imagine how even more special it would have been then? How magical it would have been to see trains? And and so I think it's really drawing attention to the fact that, that the fact that they live near trains is really special. Yes, <clears throat> the green dragon coming out of its cave.
1: In chapter three, we we also learn a little bit more about the mother. Hmm. And, oh, we do, that's yeah. true. And she turns out she's a writer. They might have referenced that before, I can't remember. Hmm. But she's it looks like she's writing stories, she's kind of holed up a little bit and she's sending them off and she keeps getting these packets back containing her stories. And a lot of times um when she receives these packets, she's sad. Um, Because their stories have been rejected Yeah they haven't
0: been accepted by the editor
1: And then it says uh, Page 56 Whenever an editor was sensible (laughs) There were buns for tea Mm. You're also an editor Uh, Yes I am So are you responsible for a lot of Flowerless households You know I've never thought about it that way before
0: But on the other hand You can't just send out acceptances to everybody In the name of buns (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's a good answer. <clears throat> uh, I also like that at the end of chapter three, you find out that the man... Well, you don't find out his name, but you find out his initials. Because he, he oh, writes yeah. him a letter. The
0: old man from the train?
1: <clears throat> yep. And the letter was signed GP. Hey, wait a second. This Why, very, why is that familiar? <clears throat> this very likable amiable, kind, pillar or of a man. Is it because they have the same initials as you? Yeah. This seems like it's going too far. Well, I just circled it a lot and wrote, drew a lot of smiley faces by it because mm. I like that. Yeah. If your initials are also that. GP, you probably noticed that too and were like, yes. S-
0: maybe your name is George P- Peterson. If your name is George Peterson, then you might like that too. But it seems like a leap to stretch it to you. Okay, fine. Well, we're going to um, toss it over here to Karini and Glazer here in a second to my conversation uh, with her, which you're not in, as we said, because your house exploded. But before we do mm-hmm. that, what are you most looking forward to as we go into chapters five and six of The Railway Children?
1: Well, I'm still I'm waiting for uh, that pigeon pie recipe. Mm it's got to yeah. be in here. That's the whole reason I'm still reading <laughs> is to finally find it's out. It's not
0: the characters or the adventure. It's
1: just pigeon pie. I need to know what well, spices. You know, mm. Now, What am I most looking forward to? I, I'm Besi- besides pigeon pie. I genuinely don't have an idea of what the 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 next however many chapters are um, where this where the plot is going. Mm. I, yeah, I feel oh, like they got to get on this train. I, I know Bobby. Has mm-hmm. already been on it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's kind of foreshadowing, but I, I'm got wondering to find out if more about the dad too. Well, that is the central mystery, isn't it?
0: That's what I'm. Really, that's I'm, that's what's keeping me turning the pages. Is this as a kid? Do you think this would have been a flashlight book for you? You're under the covers with a flashlight, trying to figure out what happens. I don't know. Is it now? Is that what you're doing now as an adult? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, as always, this has been fun. But we got to get it over to Karina Yang-Glazer. She is, of course, the author of The Vanderbeekers, which has now four books released. Wow. She also is a musician and an illustrator. And I know that she's working on another book as she describes here in the episode she lives in new york and she's going to tell us all about that and her experience as a writer and an artist and the things that motivate and inspire her and of course we presented her with a lot of your questions Uh, if you would like to send in a question to a future author uh, or illustrator then you can email us at podcasts
1: at goldberrybooks.com
0: with that let's get it over to my conversation with karini and glazier because graham was busy dealing with an exploded porch Well, Karina, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We're so excited to talk to you. And I know that our listeners who have sent in all these great questions are really excited to get to know you a little bit. So thank you so much for being here.
2: Of course, I'm really excited.
0: Well, like I said, we've got lots of, lots of really interesting questions. And then I've got a few questions from my house as well that we're gonna, I'm going to pin on to some of these questions as well. Some of these questions are serious and some of them are silly. Should we start with a serious one or a silly one?
2: Let's do a silly one. Okay. Yeah.
0: This is from Devin. We asked this question to uh, all of the people who come on because he was, this is a very important question to Devin. He wants to know whether you prefer Cheetos or Doritos.
2: Oh, um, well, my snack of choice when I'm like worried about something mm. is hot and spicy Cheez-Its. Oh, so okay. yeah, so it would probably not be either of those, but I have like a little graph that I made of writing snacks like I, I eat when I write. And when I'm less stressed- it's healthier, so.
0: It's <laughs> so when and the has, deadline's coming up, it's it's the hot and spicy Its. Yeah,
2: it's a hot and spicy Its. One less than that is the uh, salt and vinegar potato chips. Mm. So, and then if I'm not stressed at all, it's cucumbers. <laughs> so mm. yeah, so there's definitely like a progression, and my kids know like how I'm feeling based on what
0: I'm eating while mm. I'm
2: writing. So
0: can you go back and read a portion of your book or when you're editing a manuscript, can you go back and say, Oh, I was eating the hot and spicy cheese. It's here. Or I was eating cucumbers here.
2: Um, can you tell? I don't think so. I don't think I remember at that point. I just wipe it all out of my
0: <laughs> <mind>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. A couple more questions kind of like that in that same vein, just kind of like rapid fire type things. Are you a coffee drinker or a tea drinker? Tea drinker. What's your favorite tea?
2: Well, I get headaches with caffeine. So mm which is very sad because when I wrote the first Vander Beekers book, I drank a a lot of jasmine tea. Mm. And I think that probably (laughs) caused the problem of getting caffeinated. A little too much. (laughs) Yeah. So now I can't have anything caffeinated. I have to drink all herbal, which is very Mm. sad. But yeah, unless I want to get headaches for a long time. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. What about, are you a cake or a cookies person? I don't know why that was the two combination, but the, that was the question that was asked.
2: Gosh, that's hard. Well, if you read my books, you know that I'm a huge fan of cookies. Like every book has <laughs> cookies in it, but yeah. mom becomes a a cookie shop owner. So yeah, yeah. I guess cookies, I would say cookies.
0: Okay. And then are you overall a sweet or a savory fan?
2: Oh, sweet. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: But you didn't, so you don't have like a, when you're stressed, you had like spicy Crackers or whatever. Oh, so that's you,
2: true. Is there a
0: sweet thing that you go to when you're, you know, when you're, or maybe when you hit a deadline when you make your deadline or you turn in the manuscript, then you go sweet to celebrate.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's, well, sweet is like a given. Like, okay, I, okay, I got yeah. It. Every day I have chocolate. So, okay. yeah.
0: Are you so. are you like dark bitter chocolate or are you like milk chocolate or
2: milk chocolate? Okay. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, you know, I said those were goofy questions, but honestly, those are very serious questions. So
2: they are. I mean, Especially yeah, for a writer. I take that very seriously, food in
0: general. <laughs> as, it's, as you can tell by the books, I think. Okay, so we've got some questions about where the books came from, you know, what inspired them and, you know, the things that motivated you to be a writer. So let's go all the way back. We have a question from Athena. She's 13 and she wants to know where you got your inspiration to be a writer.
2: Oh, well, I've always wanted to be a writer ever since I was young. I remember writing books when I was little and uh, my dad, he was an architect and he worked in an office and they had really fancy machines that could copy things.
0: Mm. Back then (laughs) it was
2: a really big deal. I know it's like so common now, but back then it was very exciting. So I would write a story and he would go to his office And make copies and staple them on the edge. And and those were my first books. And they Mm. were a lot about me and my brother wanting pets. (laughs) That was pretty much all the books (laughs) I wrote. Um, yeah, it was completely autobiographical. (laughs) So that's how it started. And I think I love to write so much because I love to read so much. I read Mm. all the time. I love to read. I was like one of those kids that read when I wasn't supposed to, like, Mm. At bedtime, with the flashlight, and under the covers, under the covers, and when I heard someone outside my door, I would turn it off and pretend to be asleep. Or at mealtime, mm. I would sit with a book, you know, under the table mm. <laughs> and <laughs> read while I was eating.
0: Are you still and, like that? You still secretly read?
2: <laughs> well, now <as> an, <laughs> that's a great thing about being an adult is you don't have to be
0: <laughs> have to <laughs> afraid do it of your
2: parents. Um, but my my kids definitely do the same thing. They I do. do.
0: Yeah. So now, like, as a parent, are you like, "Hey, stop reading under the table. Turn the lights out." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well,
2: only because I mean, if they were perfectly pleasant in the morning after reading all mm. night, then I would be like, "Sure." But they're, yeah. you know, I do let them read. Like, they do sneak it a little bit, and then, but they don't know I know, or maybe they do, and they know yeah. that I don't care that much. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, but I do. You know, if it gets really late, then I'll then I'll put Laid a stop down a it. Yeah. yeah,
0: That's mm-hmm. one of those things. Kids just don't realize how much their parents actually know. They think they're keep good at keeping secrets, but kids are pretty open books in the end. <laughs>
2: That's true. I think it's funny because my kids lately have been saying things like, oh, when I was little, I was doing this and you never knew about it. And I was like, well, I sort of did know about <laughs> it, but it wasn't that big of a deal. And they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you about it.
0: <laughs> yeah, parents kind of have to choose their battles too, Right. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I think so, and I I mean it's sort of fun to watch them because I mean now they're a little older. Like my older one just turned thirteen, so but she's been like reminiscing a lot, like remember when I was really bad, (laughs) (laughs) that kind of stuff. And it's really, it's really sweet.
0: Okay, so you did you mentioned that all these books that you read as a kid? What were some of those books that that you loved the most? What were you like when you look back the most at? you know, the books that you read and reread or that you have the most nostalgia for, or maybe also that inspired, you know, your, your books, what, what do you, what comes right off the, what comes right to mind?
2: Okay. So I grew up in California in the suburbs and now I live in New York city. Mm-hmm. So when I lived in California growing up, I loved books about New York city. Like mm. I just could not get enough. So from the mixed up files of Mrs. Baisley Frankweiler, mm-hmm. That was a favorite. I love the idea of these siblings just, you know, (laughs) like taking their backpacks and putting stuff they need in it instead of school books. And, like, taking the violin out and putting, you know, underwear in there and, like, going (laughs) living in the Met. I just thought that was awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Another series I loved was The Babysitter's Club, Mm -hmm. which, uh, like, when I was growing up, that was, like, the huge series. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they came out. Yeah, they're still big. They're, I mean, back then they came out every month. So, mm-hmm. like every month, I would go and get the new copy, and I love them. And I didn't, I don't know what happened to my childhood copies, but I ended up finding like a a full, like a mostly full set on eBay, and bought them. Mm. And my kids love them. And now they're graphic novels, and <laughs> yeah, them, so. Yeah. But it's, yeah, there was one like super special edition that was set where the babysitters are like go to New York city. Mm. And oh my gosh, I read that so many times. (laughs) I was like, when I go to New York city, I'm doing all the things that they did.
0: (laughs) So how did you end up going to New York city then that you said you live there now and your Mm -hmm. books are set in New York. So you eventually got there.
2: Yeah. So I went to college in New York. And yeah, and then I never left. And it's mm-hmm. sort of funny because <clears throat> all my college friends are gone now. And I think my last college friend just moved last summer. Mm-hmm. So I'm the only one left. Everyone else <laughs> is all over the country and all over the world. And I'm still here in New York City. I just really love this city a lot. Hmm.
0: Okay. Well, that, that brings us to some questions about the books. <laughs> William, who's 12, he has a couple of questions about the city. He says he lives nearby and they've looked for the Vanderbeekers house. Now, I don't know what nearby means, but he wants to know, one, do you live in Harlem? Mm -hmm. And also, did you have an actual house in mind when you were writing these books?
2: So I do live in Harlem, uh, not too far from where the Vanderbeekers would live if they were, they actually lived where I wrote them to live. And... There wasn't specifically a brownstone in mind, but there are sort of areas that are um, that inspired the book. Like um, Hamilton Terrace is mm. a, a street that has lots of beautiful brownstones. Convent Avenue in Harlem also has beautiful brownstones. So, sort of that feeling of sort of these older buildings and with lots of character. Each one is different. They all have mm. you know like little things about them that make them special. That's sort of mm. what inspired. Inspired the neighborhood.
0: Did you love that even when you were a kid? Was that one of the things that you did? You know that about New York that that would be there when you were a kid?
2: No, I didn't know that, but my dad is an architect, right. so I, I've always been really interested in buildings and mm. design like the design of buildings. So
0: you know, you've got the, at the beginning of the first book, you've got the map of the house and all that. Did you draw that?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the illustrations on the inside I did.
0: Yeah. We've got a question here from Lila. She's 11. I think this is a very very nice question. I think you'll like it. She says, how do you create characters that are so amazing and real?
2: Oh, that's so sweet. Well, that's a very complicated question. I think writers in general are very good at observing people. So Mm. I think when I was writing the Vanderbeeker characters, I tried really hard to think about them as real people and not just like people I needed to put into a book. Hmm. So I thought about people I knew I thought about myself and how I feel in certain situations, how that could come through in a character. I've thought about people I've had conversations with. So all those different things, just like, you know, walking through my neighborhood and observing things. I think, you know, as writers, we're always just looking around and the sort of even small things you remember and they end up in a story somehow so it's it's really it's really sort of interesting to see like what comes up from things maybe that happened many many years ago and you're like oh maybe that's how they felt in that situation mm-hmm. and yeah. So somehow that makes it into
0: the book. Do you keep like a notebook, or do you keep notes on your phone when you when you ha- when those things strike you, or you have an observation, or you see something that you want to remember? Do you write it down right away, or do you just let it sit in your subconscious and then if it comes back later, you figure you figure if it's worth using, it'll come back later? Because I've heard both of those those ways of of approaching it.
2: I do both. Okay. I sometimes when I get an idea. Uh, it depends what stage I'm in, in the mm. writing process, and I'll write it down. And usually if I'm drafting, I'm spending a lot of time thinking and walking outside. And and at that point, usually I'll write down my ideas. Later on, as I'm revising, usually I don't need to write them down as much. But I do keep sort of kind of journal-ish kind of thing, um, I don't, I know your, your readers can't see this, but I make these little Mm. pads where I sort of draw and write different things about Mm. my day usually. And some of those things come up in the book later, just little observations about the day or funny things that I've noticed my kids do. Um,
0: (laughs) So sometimes, you know, in, to kind of describe what you had there. You had some things were little sketches. It looked like sometimes you had cut things out and pasted them in there. Is that what is that what that was?
2: Yeah, so sometimes there was like collages. Mm. Um, sometimes I'll write, like uh, I, my husband just got me a typewriter. So I've been oh, nice. typing I'll, I'll different to things. Talk. I
0: love typewriters.
2: <laughs> yeah, it, Oh, it's amazing. And so I'll type out a poem that I like and then I'll mm. watercolor around it or I'll okay. collage or I'll make notes about um, things I'm thinking about or I'm learning more
0: about. Yeah. So, so you mentioned that you do watercolors and it's interesting how many people we've talked to on this podcast and just writers in general that we've talked to who try to do other kinds of art as well. Um, drawing, um, painting, things like that. Mm -hmm. Do you see that kind of art being connected to your, to your writing as well?
2: Well, I mean, I do do the interior illustrations. Oh, right. And First, yeah. yeah, so, so yeah, it all, it's, you know, when I journal, it's sort of like practice. It's, you know, mm-hmm. drawing, like writing is practice, is just a lot of practice and observing. And I find when I journal more, then it is easier to illustrate because mm. I'm practicing noticing and I'm practicing lines and controlling my pen and all those different things so yeah but I I feel like I'm always in the state of making which is really nice either writing or drawing or Hmm. painting or I also quilt. So quilting or cooking or baking, like that. I just really, I'm definitely like hyacinth. (laughs) I always, I just need to always be doing something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so somebody asked uh, Anna, she's 12. She asked if you play any musical instruments as well.
2: I would love to play a musical instrument, I don't. I I love music. My both of my daughters play music. That is, I think, really amazing. The thing about music is that it just takes. It's it's just amazing. Like the dedication that musicians mm. have because you re- you know you really do have to practice a lot and it's like mm. learning a language. So I feel like I spend so much time creating in other ways that I need to find time. Mm. to like sit down with the instrument and really tell myself, okay, I need to spend this much time every day learning mm. something. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Your cat just joined us.
2: <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I don't know why she's on the kitchen table. <laughs> like
0: <laughs> what's that her name? never
2: happens. Um, that's Annabelle. She's a black and white cat and she has a sister named Addie. Addie Hmm. is probably sleeping on my pillow. (laughs) And I have a dog named Ginger Pie. I have another cat named Nala. And I have a rabbit named Izzy.
0: (laughs) So, okay, this brings up another question then. Because Grace, she's also 12, and she asked how similar the Vanderbeekers are to your family. So I guess your immediate family, but then she also wants to know if your experiences with siblings, if you have any, impacted your writing of the series at all.
2: Hmm, well, those are good questions. I mean, there are definitely some similarities in the book and my family. So, I have two daughters. My older daughter plays the violin, my younger daughter plays the viola. So, a lot of that builds itself into how Issa is. Um, my younger daughter, when I first started writing the series, my younger daughter was four and three quarters years old. Um, and if you've read the first book, you know that the youngest daughter is four and three quarters years old. Mm -hmm. So a lot of her personality came from my daughter. They're very, very similar, or at least they were back when I was writing the book. Um, Lainey and the Vanderbeekers is definitely the most, um, extroverted, I guess. She's always hugging people and talking and asking questions. And my younger daughter was definitely like that when she was, when she was little, Mm -hmm. um, and in the first book, when I started writing it, I had a dog, a cat, and a rabbit. And the Vanderbeekers have a dog, a cat, and a rabbit. And their, their lives expand to more animals. And so did ours. <laughs> but theirs did more. So, uh, yeah. So I guess, you know, there are some cross-pollination going yeah. on.
0: <laughs> did you have siblings? Did you?
2: I have an older brother. Okay. I think, though, that sort of the sibling dynamics came more from inspiration from books I read when I was younger. Uh, So you, you mentioned that you are reading the railway children. Mm -hmm. Um, So like books like um, Nesbitt's books Mm -hmm. or um, Eleanor Estes Mm -hmm. or um, all of a kind family books by Sydney Taylor, like those books about big families were other books that I really loved when I was growing up. Um, So in addition to books about New York city, I loved, big families and reading about them. And I sort of wanted to create a story that had a big family that was set in a modern time, which we don't see as much of. Mm. So, yeah, so that's yeah. sort of how Vanderbeekers came about.
0: Jude wants to know if there's going to be another Vanderbeekers book.
2: There are going to be more. So there will be another one. The fifth book is coming out in September and there'll mm. be two more after that coming out. Um, a year apart
0: from each other. Is the so the idea is to have seven total? Yes. Or is there? It's a seven's the goal, and then it'll be and then to be done, or seven? Just what you know so far? Can you can you answer that?
2: <laughs> um, I think seven will be it. Yeah.
0: Then what? Do you want to? You have other series in mind? Other characters?
2: I don't know. I do have a standalone book that's coming out spring of next year, so in okay. about a year. So it's sort of strange to be coming toward the end of the vanderbeekers because right now i'm working on the sixth book and after that i just have one more book so mm. it's sort of a strange place to be in because at the beginning of this journey it seemed like i had all these books to write and now that sort yeah. of getting to the end so yeah. yeah i am thinking about it but i'm also knowing that i probably need to break in there because it's been sort of a brutal schedule yeah and Yeah. So I might need like a little bit of a respite, but, but I am thinking about other books. I think, you know, when I get rest, that's when I get ideas. So. Mm.
0: So we have a question that came in for our very first episode and we've been rolling it over every time and it's from Clara and she wants to know if you planned out the plot of the series ahead of time, or if you figure it out as you go along. And then there's another question that goes along with that and it's from Aiden and he's curious if you ever have found yourself surprised by anything as you've been writing, you know, something has happened that you didn't expect to happen? Because I think those two questions go hand in hand. So I'll just ask them at the same time.
2: Okay. So in terms of plot, so every writer has things that they're good at and things that they're bad at. And (laughs) I'm really bad at plot, like (laughs) terrible. So in my first book, it barely had a plot. It had the characters. I'm a lot better at building characters and dialogue than I am at like figuring out what the problem of the book is mm. so the, the very first book i wrote was the vander beakers of 141st street so i had a lot of learning to do when i wrote that and i realized that there was no plot so it took me a while to figure out what the actual problem of the book was going to be and and so in answer to the question it sort of came about through a lot of experimentation I found so was always a surprise. Yeah, it always was a surprise. And it's funny because it's a lot harder to write that way, yeah.
0: Yeah. I
2: think. And so I've definitely gotten better at plot and gotten better at trying to figure out the plot before I start writing. And that, you know, because that just cuts down on the number of times I have to rewrite something. Mm. But it's each book is always different. It never feels the same. Like it never feels like the same process. Hmm. Yeah. Even in the same series, it doesn't feel like I have a tried and true way, even in book six. Mm.
0: Do you know how the seventh book is going to end? Yes. Okay. So, you know, you know, the very ending of the whole series though.
2: Yeah. Well, that was the interesting thing too, is because when I first wrote the first book, I thought that was the only book that was going to, that was the only Mm. book and they hadn't, you know, the publisher hadn't asked for more. I didn't Offered more and then as the book was being edited that's when they said like do you want to do another book and I said sure so they bought another book and then when I was working on the second book they were like do you want to do another book so (laughs) it was like adding one at a time so it was a little hard because you know when you have a series every book has its own um arc like a little arc and then the whole series has to have a big arc so then when I got to four I sort of thought okay, so I'm going to end on four because each book goes through a season. There are four seasons and it will end with the four. And then they bought a fifth book, which was a surprise to me and my agent. And I just decided, why don't we try it? So, but then I was stuck because I had (laughs) already completed the big arc in my mind. Yeah. So then I thought, well, I can only do another book, a fifth book if I have another sort of arc to go through. Mm. So that's why there's seven. <laughs>
0: okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. So, do you have any advice for our young their listeners who want to be writers?
2: Yes. Well, I think a lot of your listeners are already doing this, but reading, I think is so great because you're you're just being surrounded by so much beautiful language and so many different ways of telling stories. And I feel like when you're doing that, then you, you find what works for you as a writer because you're being surrounded with so many ideas and ways of doing things. Um, So reading is huge. Also, I mean, I, I think people, young people should journal and draw and, and not worry about whether it looks good or sounds good If you saw, you know, writers and their first drafts or their notes, (laughs) you would just be horrified because you wouldn't, there would be no way of seeing how something that's so messy could turn into a book. Mm. And Mm. I think when you journal and you write down your ideas, they become really powerful and you can use them maybe even later in life. I know a lot of authors who have kept journals when they're young and then they write a book. And they look back at those journals and they can capture the feelings that they had when they were younger because Mm. they wrote it down at that time. So I definitely think journaling is great.
0: Mm. Okay, a couple more questions for you. (laughs) I mentioned Jude had a question about whether there'll be another book. He also wondered if there'll ever be a movie. Would you ever want to make a movie of these?
2: Well, someone has optioned the rights for a Mm. movie. Um, Amy Poehler, who... um, Oh, really? Yeah, you probably know, but your kids yeah. may not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so Amy Poehler, she has a company and she's option the rights. So we'll see. I mean, I don't know how she would do it, but she has <laughs> a lot of really great ideas about the brownstone and how to sort of infuse that sort of magical quality into the brownstone and how yeah. she would want to build the sets. And I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust it to... Anyone, I think she's the exact right person to do it, so I'm excited
0: yeah, but do you want to, are you going to be involved in the writing of the scripts or anything? would you want no, to? No,
2: she has a writer, so she has okay. a writer that she's worked with for a long time, um he worked with her on Parks and Rec, so he put together the script, so I just sort of
0: you're along like, for the ride <laughs>
2: go around in the background being like, oh, let me know if yeah. you need anything <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> Okay, so then we have one question. We got some questions that were about stuff that happened in the books. And I don't want to ask too many of those because some of the listeners won't... I don't want to ruin the surprise for some kids. But there was one question that we got a bunch of times, enough times that I want to ask it to you. And Lucy phrased it like this. Why do the kids in the family not go to the parents for help more often? And I guess specifically maybe in the first book. And then another way of phrasing it was someone said, why do they keep... Why do they not share some of the secrets with their parents? You can look at it however you want, but I guess the basically is why do they go about, I'll just use this word loosely, their plot on their own and not incorporate their parents into it a little bit more.
2: Yeah. So in the first book, the parents are very stressed out (laughs) because (laughs) they're, you know, trying to figure out how to move and find another place. Mm -hmm. And um, it
0: turns out finding out where to live is stressful.
2: It's very (laughs) stressful. And I think when you're an adult, um, trying to figure out all the logistics, especially when you have kids. And in this case, okay. they have a lot of kids. They have yeah. a limited budget. Um, the father is only getting like his own, you know, they're only able to afford it because the father is also a, you know, a part-time super at the building. So there are a lot of variables to that. And I think the kids didn't want to be told no, like don't, you know, like don't yeah. do don't this. do try to help. Because, yeah. R- yeah. You're going to make it worse. And I'm already mm. stressed out enough to deal with you trying to fix things. So, <laughs> and I think also there's this element of, they want to do something to be helpful and it backfires in some <laughs> ways, but, you know, another thing in, in children's books in general is that we really do try to keep the adults out of it because it's not that interesting when the adults fix the problems. So, so that's another thing that I try to be aware of is like, it could have been easy to get adults involved and have it sort of tied up really neatly. But when that happens, it's not really that fun to read.
0: (laughs) Yeah. 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 One of the things that shows up a lot in kids books is adults who are, um, not very smart (laughs) like the kind Mm -hmm. of bumbling and things like that but i didn't i don't find that in your books have you ever is that something you've ever thought about or you've been conscious of like you know i kind of find it annoying when the kids run across adults who are bumbling idiots so to speak because it kind of it's not it doesn't mean as much when the kids you know do something smart (laughs) right it's kind of like a low bar so is that is that something you've ever thought about
2: um I mean, I definitely know what you're talking about. I have read many, many books where the adults are not very smart. I think that in my in my books, I wanted to depict a community that was very supportive of the, mm. of the kids. And I wanted to give them a reason for wanting to stay so much. Mm. So yeah. in my case, I really wanted to show that they had to stay in that neighborhood. It couldn't be a different place place it couldn't even be still in New York City but not in Harlem like it was very important that they stayed in Harlem so to me and to me as a mom I find it really important that the kids are surrounded by more than just their parents as the main adults in their life and I think that they need to hear a lot of different voices from a lot of different people and I think Mm. that's the only way you know you can understand that people have different ways of thinking about things Mm. and you know the opinions you have are are not just repeating what your parents say all the time, but really what you truly think, having talked to many different people. Hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, Mr. Biederman, the, I guess, antagonist in the story in the first book, (laughs) um, he's not really even there. He's not, he's sort of like an invisible antagonist. They're fighting against someone who they've never really met or talked to. Hmm. So yeah, so it was it was a fun puzzle for me to write about.
0: Yeah. You said it was like a puzzle. Is, is that how all the books are for you? Like it's like a puzzle that you're putting together and that's kind of the what part of the fun of the process? We've talked about plotting a little bit, but is that is that metaphor kind of a good way of thinking about all the books or was just the first book like that?
2: No, I feel like I yeah, when I talk to young writers, I always talk about sort of this puzzle metaphor because when you're working on a puzzle, you're trying to figure out like the bigger picture first like what does this look like where are the corners where are the edges mm-hmm. and that's sort of how I feel like with the book and then you sort of move into like the smaller details and then things start to pick up you know after you get like your main idea and then you're trying to work out on the details and then things you know when you get that last piece in it feels so great and that's how I feel when I'm writing like by the end I'm just sort of like just working on all those like little details to make it really a full story. And it's Mm. so wonderful when like everything comes together Mm. because it, you know, in the beginning, it's always just like, how am I supposed to do this? Yeah. 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 Impossible.
0: (laughs) It's like a mountain. You're standing at the bottom of a mountain. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So the very important question here before we get to our word of the week, what kind of typewriter do you use?
2: Oh, okay. So, (laughs) um, an Olivetti um, mm. is what my husband got me for my birthday, and then we acquired another one.
0: They're kind of <laughs> addictive.
2: They are. Do you have typewriters?
0: I have. I have an Olivetti. Uh, we have both of mine are upstairs at the bookstore right now in the basement of the bookstore in case it, it looks like a dungeon. Um, <laughs> yeah. But upstairs, I have in the window. We have an Olivetti, and then I've got a. Um, Another one.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's not an Olivetti. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that's not an Olivetti. Yeah, and yeah. it's going to come to me now that I, you asked me. I'm going. I forgot. But as soon as we, well, I hang have up... a
2: Smith and Corona. Do you have a Smith and Corona? No,
0: but I want no. the the super silent. That's like my. that's yeah, like my that That's good. the one that I really want.
2: <laughs> I have um in 1937. Oh Smith wow, Corona a black one. Do you use which,
0: which one? Do you use the most?
2: I use both. I mean, it's typewriters are so amazing because. The font, it's fixed. You can't change yeah. the font, so...
0: You can't get except, distracted by that.
2: <laughs> I know, changing it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the black one, the um, Smith & Corona, it's a little smaller. So sometimes if I need to save space on a paper, I'll use that one. And then yeah. the Olivetti, the letters are a little bit more spaced out and bigger.
0: Are you writing books on them or you, do you write those on your computer or by hand?
2: Um, well, I'm writing the Vander Vanderbeekers book on the computer but I'm working on a different project that I'm doing on the typewriter. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's get to our word of the week, so we can let you get out of here. Okay. What we'll do is I will say the word of the week, and then we'll each write down a definition. And of course, Graham's okay. not here to add a third definition, but we'll, and then we'll uh, reveal what the real definition is. And the word All of the right. week that got sent in is—it's a short word, actually. Okay. But fun nonetheless. It's choir. But it's not like something you sing in. It's Q U I R E. Okay. Hmm. Okay. So we're back. And again, the word of the week is choir Q U I R E. Do you want to go first or should I go first? I can
2: go first. Okay. You go first. So a choir is a squirrel whose greatest desire is to become a squire. <laughs>
0: that would be a. I think you just came up with a new idea for a story.
2: I know. See, like, inspiration can, comes it might anywhere. be a
0: seven novel series out of that. <laughs> Give your imagination a little break in a couple yes. years and yes. then come back to it. Yes. So I wrote down that a choir is the name for the person who brings the snack cart along on a fancy train like in Harry Potter. <laughs> okay. Yes. But I don't... I- I don't think that I don't think I'm right. How how confident do you feel in your?
2: I feel like seventy one percent. confident.
0: Seventy one percent out of a <laughs> hundred,
2: maybe out of a thousand. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so let's look at it up. Okay, all right, and the real definition for acquire. Acquire is another word for two dozen sheets of paper.
2: Really, the very specific.
0: So you can say. I I bought two dozen sheets of paper at, the, at Staples today. Or you can say I bought a choir at Staples today.
2: Yes, I am using that.
0: So, I don't know exactly why that word was the one that got was was inspired <laughs> for today. But you, you always the words do not have to be interesting only when they're long. Is that is true? Is uh, is you know, we had a word recently that was like you know, arenaceous or something like that. You know, a whole <laughs> bunch of letters. Yeah, arenaceous was the word. Five letters can also be interesting too.
2: Yes, I like that.
0: Do you ever, um, when you're writing your books, do you ever think about word length? Like you're writing books for kids. So do you think about what kind of vocabulary you want to use? Or do you ever write things and then cut it out because the word's too long? Or do you ever think, oh, the kids are going to love a word like this? Or do you not think about that at all?
2: I don't really think about that. I have gotten a lot of responses from, from families who have read it that's, that say that they, they like the word choice, how there's a mixture of sort of words that wouldn't come up in, you know, a regular everyday mm-hmm. conversation, yeah. but, and that, you know, it, the vocabulary is good. Actually, I think yeah. my book was chosen for like the scripts, you know, how they do the spelling bee? Oh yeah. And, yeah. And they, they
1: chose choose, a word from it.
2: They choose books as recommendations for kids to oh. read, to expand their vocabulary yeah. Oh, and so, that's awesome. Vanderb- yeah, I was like very shocked and very honored.
0: <laughs> so it's not, you weren't like going for that honor. You were just, you, know, you no. just kind of wrote the words that you thought suited the scene and the people and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, that's awesome. Well, hey, thank you so much for joining us. And thanks to everyone who sent in uh, questions. Of course, um, it's been really a great time talking to you and thank you so much for the books. And we're very much looking forward to those fifth, sixth and seventh books and then whatever comes next. So thank awesome. you.
2: Awesome. Well, thanks so much. This is great.
1: Well, that was an excellent interview with Karini and Glazer. Thank you. Too bad you couldn't be there. Yeah, I was there in spirit. Mm, that's true. Actually, I was just out looking through the window. You you locked the door. I couldn't get in. Well. What, bang harder next time? <laughs> I didn't... You look like you were doing a good job. I wanted, you know... Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I'm sure it went we,
0: great. We did, mi- we did miss you, though, because... There's more shenanigans when you're there, more nonsense when you're there.
1: I I, I bet that's true. I mean, I had the the machine out there with me. I was trying to bring it in, but...
0: Well, Well, oh, well, that makes more sense now. That makes sense. Okay. It's
1: time for a very important
0: segment because we've received a bunch of emails from kids who sent in what they think is the answer to last week's riddle.
1: Thousands of answers.
0: Hundreds no well, Tens. there were plenty there, there were was, en- there were enough there were dozens <laughs> there, there exactly and the winner of this week's riddle contest is named clara rudolph because of all the answers that were correct she was chosen at random because she, she gave also gave the, got the correct one she gave the correctest well there's really only one way to be correctest and it's to be Correct because there's only one answer which brings us to the can you give us the answer to the riddle? Well, I think you need to recap the riddle okay, so here's the riddle. There are two fathers and two sons, and they're fishing and what happens? Uh, they caught
1: three fish, but those three were enough to feed them all
0: right each person was still able to
1: have one fish mm-hmm. why so Graham, what is the correct answer to this riddle? Uh, because there's only three of them. There is a grandfather who is the father. To person number two, who is the father to person number three. And also the son to person number one. It gets a little confusing. (laughs) It does. So we've got a
0: grandfather, a father, and a grandson slash son. Yes. So if you follow us there, there were three people. So they all got to have one fish because there were actually only three of them, despite the fact that it said two fathers and two sons. A little bit of trickeration on that one.
1: Yeah, you might have to diagram it. You might have to, you know, write it down Mm. and... Label these things
0: I didn't think about the the idea of diagramming and the riddle, but that brings us to this week's riddle, and that's how we're going to end this week's show. So Graham, it is your turn to present a riddle to the people. What is this week's riddle
1: for the people? All right everybody, listen carefully. A cowboy comes into town on Friday. Your riddles are very
0: someone comes into a town centric yeah you're you're right. I only know town riddles oh oh okay well that makes sense then
1: next time I'll do some more you know rural a rural a rural setting yes man leaves town <laughs> aquatic setting yeah, aqua- yeah. Aqua- we kind of did
0: just a, just did an aquatic setting in the previous one but anyway carry on man enters a town
1: a cowboy oh I'm sorry I'm sorry comes into town on Friday he stays two nights at the local hotel let's let's say it's a nice hotel. Nah, no, let, uh, no, no. The cowboys say, stay in nice hotels? Yeah, you're right. Run down, <laughs>
0: dusty, dusty, dusty okay. hotel. Because he just walked into it with his spurs
1: on. He stays two nights at the local dusty hotel. <laughs> <laughs> he leaves on Friday. How is this possible? Okay, say that one more time. A cowboy comes into town on Friday. He stays two nights at a local hotel. He leaves on Friday. How is this possible? And you'll answer me, it's impossible. But no, that's what makes it a riddle. <laughs> it seems impossible, but there's a is way Is this another
0: one where we're going to need to diagram it?
1: I don't know. Or maybe, uh, maybe a whole pictogram. Oh, a pictogram. Sometimes this... Is it a th-
0: coincidence that your name is in the words pictogram and diagram and epigram and... Phonogram and Instagram? <laughs> Probably. That's a coincidence? I right, was just checking. I never thought about it before.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All right, well, that's that's this week's show. We've come to the end of another episode. Thank you so much to Karina Yang-Glazer for coming on. Graham, do you have anything else you'd like to say to the, to the kids out there before we end this episode?
1: Uh, thanks for uh, listening to episode three. If you've made it this far, <laughs> that means you like this show. That's right. Unless somebody paused episode three and walked away from their phone or computer and you accidentally press play and now you're just confused uh, and a little disoriented
0: or unless your older brother tied you to a chair and then made you listen to it yeah oh that seems unlikely but that is torture right i mean that you can go to jail for that i know so older brothers and sisters don't do that to your younger siblings or you'll go to jail don't force podcasts on people that don't want (laughs) that's right that's right especially ones like this one (laughs) so here we are at the end of the episode if you like this show and actually listen to it on your own and weren't tied up, what can people do to help express their love for the show?
1: They can go onto whatever podcast app they listen to and give us a review or just a rating. If you mm-hmm. have something to say, give us a review. Mm-hmm. We would love that. We would love that. So I, I guess some, grateful. Pod, some podcast apps don't have that. That's true. But a lot, but a lot of them do. We'd love to hear what you think, and of course, you can email us, give us some yeah. feedback. If you, if you're thinking, I'd like to give this show a one star review, then just email us and tell <laughs> us what we can do better. Yeah. If you're thinking exactly. this is a five star podcast, then go on and review it. Yeah, exactly. A, a fifth,
0: fifth five, fifth five stars, five stars. <laughs> yes and of course we would love to hear from you we may or may not have a little segment coming up soon that involves your emails so if you'd like to send us any kind of feedback or ideas via email we would love to hear from you and of course that is
1: podcasts at com. that's right
0: Well, with that, this has been another episode of Windle, which is, of course, a whimsical interactive show for kids who love stories, words, and grown-worthy jokes featuring your favorite authors and illustrators. It's part book club, part game show, and it's your weekly adventure through the wild world of wordplay. For Grant Pittman, I'm David Kern, and until next week, until episode four, happy reading. Goodbye.